How would you like my help planning your international relocation? If you're planning to move to another country in the next one to two years, but you're tired of spending endless hours searching online about what to do and how to prepare, I can help. Applications are now open for my private group coaching program, Ready to Relocate, which gives you a step-by-step roadmap for exactly how to prepare to move overseas within just 90 days. You get lifetime access to all of the course content, which includes tutorials, videos, guides, checklists, downloads, and more, plus unlimited access to private message me with your questions throughout the duration of the program and weekly live Q&A calls with me to help you each step of the way. Apply today at travelingwithkristen.com apply. Spaces are limited and participants are accepted on a case-by-case basis. You can apply to chat with my team or I on the phone to see if it would be a good fit for you at travelingwithkristen.com apply or use the link in the show notes. That's travelingwithkristen.com slash A-P-P-L-Y. Welcome to Badass Digital Nomads, where we're pushing the boundaries of remote work and travel, all while staying grounded with a little bit of old school philosophy, self-development, and business advice from our guests. Hey there, Kristen from Traveling with Kristen here, and welcome to episode 171 of Badass Digital Nomads. Today we have a long-awaited episode that's all about living in Portugal. My guests today are Josh and Kaylee of the YouTube channel Expats Everywhere, and today they are not holding back about what it's been like for them living in Portugal the last few years. We have an action-packed information-rich episode for you about everything from how they started living in Portugal to begin with, what their cost of living is like, what their day in the life is like, real estate prices, the food, the D7 visa, all sorts of things, including some questions such as, are foreigners and Americans ruining Portugal, and lots more. They also give us some insight into raising a family there, talking about schooling options for their daughters, and also why it's important for them to raise their daughter in a foreign country. We're also talking about healthcare, different neighborhoods in Portugal and in Lisbon specifically, the best places to live in Portugal, pros and cons of living in Portugal, and much more. So sit back relax, and enjoy today's conversation with Josh and Kaylee from Expats Everywhere. Welcome, guys. Expats Everywhere on Badass Digital Nomads. This is so exciting. And we will link to the previous interview that I did with Josh. And that was probably 2018 or 2019. I think it was 2019. It was 2019. Yeah. Long time ago. Lots changed. Yeah. And when we did that other interview, were you in Portugal then? No, we hadn't arrived yet. And actually, Kaylee was supposed to be on the interview with me, but had like an emergency doctor appointment. Oh, that's right. I was pregnant. Oh. (laughs) And now we have a two-year-old. So we were living in Singapore. Did you do the interview in Singapore? No, no, we we did it back in Florida. Okay. So we were in transition. We were moving from Singapore to the States and the States to Portugal. And uh, I found out I was pregnant. So I think, yeah, I was supposed to be back 
but I had to go to the hospital. Obviously, everything was fine, but I couldn't make the interview. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's definitely a priority is to make sure you and the baby are OK. And so, yeah, it's great to meet you for the first time, Kaylee. So what motivated you guys to move to Portugal? I know that you've lived abroad for a really long time. So can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background of some of the countries that you lived in before and why you chose to relocate and start your family in Portugal? Yeah, absolutely. I think actually the journey is a big part of why we're here because we started out and we lived in Madrid, Spain and took several trips to Portugal and more specifically to Porto and fell in love with the city, but we didn't really see a clear pathway to live here. And as our journey continued and we found ourselves in Asia, spending time across South Korea, Saudi Arabia, and Singapore. When we were in Singapore, we were kind of like, yeah, you remember that time we were in Europe? That was pretty cool. Like, let's get back to that European lifestyle. And, you know, we started to think like, where could we go? And there were two countries that we had on our, our short list, Slovenia, because we went to Ljubljana and thought that that was such an amazing city, but we didn't see a, a real clear pathway for us to go there apart from continuing to be teachers, international school teachers. And we started to dig into Portugal and we were like, okay, what's different? What's changed? And we saw the D7 visa and we realized like, whoa, that's something we could do. And we started to dig into more research and figure out how to make the D7 possible because a lot of people think it's a retirement visa. And that's totally wrong. You just need to be able to have income, like external income, not from a job within Portugal, but from outside of Portugal. And you can qualify for this visa, assuming that you're making a decent amount of money. It's not a lot by American standards, but a decent amount of money. And that's what brought us here. What is the income for that? I'll let you speak to our D7 specialist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you just have to make what is minimum wage currently in Portugal, which changed at the beginning of 2022 to, I believe now it's 705. It wasn't hovering in the 600s for a while. So the minimum wage here is in the low 700s euros. So that would just be part of your requirement for the D7 is making sure that you have that minimum. So it's quite low for Americans. Yeah. Well, great. Well, we're going to talk about that a bit at the end of the interview and people can find out where they can get your actual program and step-by-step -step course on how to successfully apply for the D7 visa. So everyone sure. stay tuned for that. That's a big question that a lot of people have. And we'll also cover some questions from my Facebook group members, specifically about what it's like living in Portugal. But what were some of your first impressions once you actually moved there? Um, how was it different from your lifestyle in Singapore? Well, the first impressions, uh, immediately what jumped to mind is we made the right decision. When we were kind of reminiscing of our time spent in Spain and trips to Portugal, we had a lot of fond memories. So it was really nice to come back here and have those things still ring true. So I think that was the thing that jumped out to me is like, yes, like everything that we thought that we were going to get, we're getting. Sometimes that's dangerous too. When you live in a place and you visit another place and you kind of have this magical idea in your mind and then you're like, well, I want to live there. But living in a place and traveling to a place, they're two very different things. So that could go one way or the other. So it was nice. Like 
Josh was saying, uh, these memories that we had of Porto were still ringing true. We really like, a lot of people go to Lisbon or Algarve, but we really love Porto. Sometimes Porto gets a bad rap for the weather being bad or something like that, but it has its own little magic for being a city, but not too big. And then also the river, it's a city, there's a beach option. So, so that's what we really like about it. Yeah. In terms of comparing Singapore and Portugal, you know, in Singapore, we had international school teaching jobs. So we were making a substantial amount of money. And I mean, coming here, we were essentially working remote jobs and it was at least half of what we were used to making in Singapore. And in Singapore, we were able to kind of live the high life a bit because our income level was so high. So that was a little bit of an adjustment in terms of what we could do entertainment wise and maybe you know, spending a little more luxuriously, sure, take, yeah. taking nicer trips and stuff. But, you know, by the time we arrived, the pandemic was well underway. So a lot of travel was shut down. So it was okay. And we had a nine month old too. And we had a nine nine month old. So that was life changes with uh, the luxuries that you have when when a little one comes along. (laughs) It all goes to her. Oh yeah. You sacrifice everything for the little one, but it's good. Mm. I want to talk a bit about that, about how you're bringing your daughter up there and why and how you think her life will change because of it. Cause I've talked with a lot of people lately who've been raising their kids for 10 years, 20 years while traveling the world. And there's definitely a big long-term impact on their quality of life too. And hopefully they thank you for it later when they get old enough to realize what you guys did for them. But I would imagine that your cost of living also went down going from Singapore to Portugal. So what would you say is like kind of the average salary range that teachers like foreign teachers can make in Singapore and the cost of living versus Portugal? Yeah. So in Singapore, I think a lot of teachers are making at least 40, right? 40,000 a year. Yeah. 40,000 a year USD. Yeah. And then you have uh, the and perks up. and you have, yeah. And you have, it depends on the school for sure, but you have the perks as well. Like the housing stipend, travel, Generally, if you're with a school for a certain amount of years, you have they give you flights back to your home country. So all those little perks just help with the savings, I would say. Yeah, there are some schools in Singapore that you can make 80K to even six figures, like some of the big schools, big, big schools. We didn't teach at one of those, <laughs> but we still did well. We were able to save... Well, one, one person's salary. salary. Yeah. yeah and then one in comparison salary. here, you know, there are international schools, but obviously those as a student are much cheaper than they are as a student in Singapore. That's right. Therefore, you have the wages for teachers and staff are much lower. That's but right. of course, cost of living in Portugal versus Singapore is much lower. You don't have to be a baller, I guess, to live in Singapore, but there are certain things that tend to be higher, like housing is one of those that's higher. But you can still eat the hawkers and not be eating, you know, $100 in steak or whatever every day. So you you can do not on a budget, but you can not necessarily eat really expensively in Singapore. But then obviously here in Portugal, you have more options for what you can eat as far as cheap, but then you do have those options that are higher price. Just you don't do those as often, I guess, or there's not as many. So you can keep your food budget down as well. For sure. So cost of living is definitely a big difference. So you don't make as much is the thing, the main thing as a teacher in Singapore at an international school in Singapore versus an international school in Portugal. It's a lifestyle thing, though, too. I think you can go to Singapore and live on around two thousand dollars, U.S. dollars a month. 
And here you could easily spend $2,000 a month, but you could live here in one of the cities for maybe 1200 to 1500, I think would be safe. There are people that do it on less. There are people that do it on a thousand outside of the cities for sure. It's a little more difficult in the cities though. You have to make some serious sacrifices when it comes to your accommodations. Hmm. Yeah. What are the housing prices like right now? since we're coming out of the pandemic and tourism is increasing and gas prices and things. Yeah, it's soaring. It is absolutely soaring. So one of the major problems here that we've noticed is there are a lot of short-term rentals. And during the pandemic, property management companies and individuals had to switch from renting on the short-term market because there was no tourism to putting their properties up for medium and long-term. And medium and long-term, you know, you don't make as much money as short-term. So as soon as tourism opened back up, there was a massive flood of apartments that went back to the short-term market, which brought down then what was on the long-term market. And that forced prices to go up. And we've seen prices just continue to rise. And I think Part of that now is due to the influx of foreigners that have come in and they're willing to pay elevated rates. So they're not paying what a local would pay. And we've seen prices just continue to go up in the major cities. We've seen in Braga, for example, which I think is it's in the top five in terms of population. It's, I think, the third most popular city for foreigners to move to. Yeah, or at least areas to move to. And it got such a rental shortage. It's unbelievable. Like we talk to realtors up there trying to help people find rentals and it's just almost it's, impossible. Unavailable. Yeah, yeah. There's just nothing there. So for example, when we first moved, we rented a place for 900 and 900 euros. And it was not a, a very big place. It was a place where if we show it to our Portuguese viewers, they're like, I wouldn't pay more than 650 to live there. You know, that type of thing. We're paying a property management company that's used to dealing with foreigners, like they're kind of targeting the expat market. Now that same place rents for $1,200, $1,250, something like that. So in the space of two years, it's gone from $900 to $1,250. Wow. And now they can charge that. They can. The thing, because, they can. Yeah, people, people need willing, it. People are willing to pay, yeah. pay that. Yeah. So that's basically the whole cost of living that you were saying you could live in Portugal for $1,200 a month or you could spend $1,200 a month just on your rent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. definitely. Yeah. I remember when I was there in 2018 and my friend was paying like seven or eight thousand dollars a month for a vacation rental in Lisbon. Like it was crazy. Whoa. That is crazy. A nice place, though. It was really, really nice. Uh. It only had two bedrooms. I mean, it had a nice view and it was super fancy, like a nice area. But that's the kind of markup that there was on the vacation rental market there. And that was pre-pandemic. So this is actually something I talked about in a live stream this week because somebody was asking, are foreigners ruining Portugal? Hmm. We can talk about that. I had studied this a bit in the past and looking at the economic impact of digital nomads and expats living in other places, but it was a negligible impact compared to tourism because there could be millions of tourism arrivals and there could be like a few thousand digital nomads in the whole country or foreigners living there long term. What is your perspective on that? Like when you look at the numbers of, I think the last figure I saw was that like five or 7,000 U.S. citizens had officially relocated to Portugal, but that doesn't count all of the unofficial people that are just hanging out there on tourist visas. Do you think that 
foreigners are ruining the country and increasing the prices and just kind of ruining this opportunity of people that want to go and live in Portugal. There's a ton to unpack right there. So I think on your live stream, you said exactly our short answer. You said that perfectly. It's really the tourism that's having the bigger impact, which I mean, tourists are foreigners. Yes, but it's not the foreign residents that want to come and live and integrate with the society and pay local rates and eat at local restaurants. So I think there's like a bit of cognitive dissonance between some of the anger that has been reported in the media and what's actually causing it. The tourism is definitely a massive factor in what's happening. Now, are some foreign residents coming over here and paying over the odds? Absolutely. But the impact is so negligible, like you said. And that, that figure is around 7,000. There's 7,000 mm -hmm. Americans that have moved here in 2021, I believe is the stat. Which is uh, like the 24th. Great the 24th country. most represented country in terms of immigration into Portugal. So like there was a, an LA times article or whatever that came out just a month or two ago. And a lot of people were resharing this thing. And it was talking about how Portuguese had a backlash towards Americans because we were forcing prices up. And it's like, look, the country that is 24th most represented in your immigration is not affecting anything. It is not a scratch. And the problem is, is in that article, I think they said it's gone up 50 percent. Yes. Like immigration for, of Americans has gone up 50 percent from the year before or something like that. So the year before it was it's like 3,000. And the next year, you know, it was almost 7,000, something like that. So, yes, it is true. It's 50 percent. But you can see then how that can be quite misleading mm -hmm. on how many people that actually is. We're not talking about millions of people then coming in 50 percent higher. Yep. And I think that something that gets lost on people is, you know, we lived in Spain back in 2009 to 2011. And when we would tell people about Portugal from the U.S., they wouldn't even know where it was. Portugal was never on anyone's map. When they would come to Europe, they'd go to London, Paris, Rome. They didn't even know where Portugal was. Mm. Now it's becoming more evident to Americans that Portugal exists and it's a way to live the European lifestyle. So you are seeing a bit of an influx in that sense. And you see tourism as well because people are seeing that they come here for tourism. But the thing is, is Brits, the French, the Dutch, the Germans, they've all been coming to Portugal on tourism for years and years and years. So you can't just say that it's Americans that are now changing prices when they've had tourists coming for a while. And when we walk around, when we go to different cities, we can hear all the different languages. It's not that we're hearing Americans, we're hearing, you know, British English and French and German and everything. So I think that now Americans are thinking that it's the U.S. that's coming over, but people, it's just kind of just a newer idea to people. So it seems like it's a lot. For sure. Yeah. And I think the three bigger nationalities that are making maybe a larger impact, positive or negative, I'm not drawing any conclusions there, but would be Russian, Chinese and Israeli. Okay. They seem to be moving bigger amounts of money into the country for investment or whatever. Interesting. Yeah, I've noticed that in a lot of cities like in Vancouver and Canada, having, you know, a lot of marketing and such in Mandarin and property magazines kind of geared towards the Chinese market and mm -hmm. Russian as well in Thailand. I was hearing Russian everywhere, especially mm -hmm. on the streets and signage. And people were saying like, yeah, after the tsunami, like a bunch of Russian investors bought up a lot of the properties. And that's interesting too. I wonder how that's changed a bit since the war on Ukraine. Yeah. And the figure with 
you know, it doubling from, you know, 3000 to 7000 or whatever. That's so typical of the U.S. media to kind of blow it out of proportion and make it like everything's revolving around the U.S. It kind of reminds me of when you see the headlines about like 50 percent more Americans are renouncing their citizenship. And it's also like 3000 to 5000 or whatever. Yeah. So it's still like a drop in the bucket compared to the total population. So what do you think are some of the destinations that people can go to people who really want to live in Portugal long term and like integrate with the culture, integrate with the local lifestyle? What are some of the like off the beaten path places that they can go to that aren't as expensive like you know, Lisbon, Algarve, probably Braga, you mentioned there's these like top places. So like, what are the kind of most popular places and what are some places maybe off the radar where people can still find good deals? Yeah, I think this is honestly a difficult question to answer because the whole country has something to offer somebody. Now, not everybody is going to like Lisbon, not everybody is going to like Porto, but there's very likely a spot for everybody who's interested in Portugal, right? Yeah, definitely. I think the main thing that you have to ask yourself is what kind of weather do you want and then what size of a city you want? Because when we talk about Lisbon, Lisbon is sprawling. It is a big city. And then Porto, which is the second largest city in the country, is so much smaller. It's a city, but it's so much smaller compared to Lisbon. Mm. And then it just continues to dwindle down from there, like Braga and such. So there are good qualities to these bigger places if that's what you're looking for. And there are still places that you can find that maybe aren't downright in the city center, but are still considered part of the region or the area that you can live on a budget if that's what you're looking for. But as far as maybe some of the smaller places, you I think central, you want to go first? Well, I was going <laughs> to say my new favorite place for that, like to fit that criteria is Viana do Castelo. Which is great, but it is further north and it's close to the Spanish border up north. So it's a beautiful area. It's on the water, but it will get cold and it will get rainy. So you just have to take that into consideration. So that's why weather and size are things to think about. But then you have the whole Silver Coast, which is you know mainly between Lisbon and Porto. So you get out of the craziness of Lisbon, but you can also, depending on how far north you go or south, really, you can be on the train line, which is nice because then you're connected to one of the cities. Mm. Forget a Defage, for example, is a great one on the water and they can get a little touristy. So during the summer, you'll see an influx of people that will go there. But we have friends who have rented a one bedroom there. They kind of use as home base and they pay $350 a month for it. It's just a simple one bedroom, but it's in a great area and they're close to the water if they want to go to the beach. And they could just leave their stuff there and travel because they pay such a low price. So something like that is a great option. And then when you move into Central, this is also where you're going to find some of those hidden gems. Tomar is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Again, smaller though. So you got to keep that in mind. If you're thinking of city life, then these wouldn't be the answers. They'll have what you need, but they're not going to have three different options of like, you know, maybe a Thai restaurant, right? Lisbon has a bunch of them. Porto might have three to five of that type of cuisine, whereas these might not have any, or they'll have one. one. So just keeping that in mind. Tomorrow, Leira, Coimbra is, is also popular. I think Coimbra is rising in price though. 
Coimbra is a university town. There's always a lot of students coming out of the town. So trying to find cheaper accommodations, it usually gets snapped up by them. Yeah. You know? And then you might be around student, like if you're in student housing, you might be around a lot of students. And then that, that's place, a weird though. one. It's, it is cute. That's a weird one, though, because it's busy during like the school year and yep. then all the students leave for the summer. But that's when a lot of tourists come in because, I mean, the university and the library there, they're really well known. So it brings in a lot of tourists to see how beautiful they are. People that like the coast might like Ericeira, which is kind of north of, of Lisbon along the coast. I would say the, yeah. the ones that mainly people stay away from is not a lot of foreigners are going to Alentejo. That's still a lot of just land out there. Makes good wine. <laughs> but to give Alentejo a shout out, Evora and Beja are both nice places. The problem that you'll find with Alentejo in general is in the summer, it gets wicked hot. Really and in hot. the winter, it gets cold. It gets like bone chilling cold. But they are more remote for people who are interested in that or maybe buying some land. And then really in between Lisbon and when you get to Algarve, there's just not much. Nothing really on the coast there is desirable. So if you're going to do coast and stay away from Algarve, Lisbon and Porto, you're looking at the Silver Coast or something small to medium size between Lisbon and Porto, I would say. Yeah. And some surf towns around there too. Yep. Yeah. Nazare is big for that. Yeah. Nazare That's definitely a, um, like a beachy feel, you know, kind of like a, a Daytona or something. So you get a, a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of tourists that come for the beach, for the surf, and then it can be a bit of a ghost town in a sense during the winter. Unless people are coming for the waves, because apparently the waves are the best in December. So that's always interesting. So people will go December through February. Here's when the waves, waves are the biggest. Big, biggest waves yeah. in the world. Uh, I'm not into that. I'm into <laughs> surfing, but I do not like wetsuits and big waves. It's so difficult to surf. Like I was surfing in Norway wearing this super thick wetsuit and I was like, never again. <laughs> Well, then you wouldn't want to surf here because the Atlantic is cold, even in the summer. So you, I think everyone who surfs wears a, a wetsuit. I don't know if I've seen anyone out there surfing even when it's hot in the summer. What do you think? Without a wetsuit. Because the Atlantic's cold. Oh, no, so we don't watch a lot of surfers. When uh, you see them out in like a yeah, yeah, and such. Yeah. But I, that's, I that's further north, right? Yeah. I don't know about down south. Mm, that's true. Yeah. How much time are you guys spending in Porto? And then how much time are you spending kind of traveling and hanging out in other places? Yeah, that's a tricky one because we don't tend to just go places now in Portugal for the fun of it. I mean, we have fun whenever we're there, but we're usually there for a purpose, which is uh, shooting content and showing that to our audience. So we go there with kind of work on our mind. Let's see. I would say last year we spent probably four months outside of Portos. But the reason for that is we had a big project that we wanted to do, which took us three months away from the city. This year, we've probably already spent, we're halfway through the year, we've probably already spent a good month and a half outside of Porto. Yeah, right. mainly we've traveled, you know, now that things are a bit more open, it's easier to travel outside of Portugal as well. Yeah. So for a while, we were doing a lot of traveling within Portugal for content and then also just the ease of what was going on. But now we're able to get out a bit more. So planning trips. We can't sit still for too long, I think, mm -hmm. is the thing. We love Porto and we love our friends here. And when we come back, we connect. We've got this community. We do this. We do this. But then, I mean, you know, it's pretty sad when our two-year-old asks to go to a hotel. You know, every once in a while, she'll be like, hotel? Hotel? I'm like, you know, normally by then we already have a trip planned. So it's like, yes, next week we're going to a hotel. And she gets really excited. Uh, that's funny. She's got the travel bug already. <laughs> she does. does. She loves the airplanes. She loves hotels. 
she gets pretty excited about it. Any mode of transportation. I mean, I know that's like a normal kid thing, but like she gets really excited because I, I think that she knows there's a trip involved. It's not just, you know, that thing, but like there's a journey that we're about to go on. There's an adventure that's about to be had, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's such a young age. And did you guys decide to buy any property in Portugal or are you renting? Well, we're renting right now. We're currently looking. So we're on the market, actually. We're doing a project on the channel, not just for the channel, but for ourselves personally, where we're searching for a building that will fit at least four units. There are three other people that want to invest with us, and we're going to go in. We're going to try to find something that needs to be rehabbed because we all feel like there's a ton in Porto, a ton of buildings in Porto that, that kind of need to be brought back to their former glory. And there's not enough people that are out there doing it right now. But yeah, we want to find something, renovate it and move into it and kind of live in with some communal space, obviously have separation in our own unit, but have like maybe a, a back garden that all of us can enjoy as opposed to it just being a private garden for one tenant, you know, or maybe a rooftop terrace where everybody can go up and enjoy that. So yeah, we've got some other people that are involved with us as we search. If we find something bigger, I've got a short list of over 40 people that are willing to jump in, which is pretty crazy. This project's taken on a life of its own. But yeah, so we're looking to buy. We just haven't found the right one yet. And we're a little picky in the sense that since we are buying, we want to be in our favorite neighborhood. So it obviously cuts down what's available. And I mean, trying to find a place in Portugal is a bit like the Wild West because you see all these buildings, especially in Porto, that it's like, this looks like it's just, you know, falling to pieces, but there's no for sale sign or anything. So you have to find out what's going on with this. And everyone has their own story. And it's sometimes it's like people are resistant to sell, even though they can't invest in it. They can't bring it back to a livable state. Maintain it. Yeah, mm -hmm. can't maintain it. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's too many people own it and, you know, five want to sell it, but the that six one, one does not want to, and they can't do it because technically they all own a piece of it or something. So there's just so much logistically that goes into it when you think, oh, this could work or this could work. But yeah, so we have people helping us trying to get down and figure out what's going on with some of these places that we like because we've got a few that are looking good. So we'll yep. see. Getting close. Yeah, that's a good model to use, even if it's not as competitive in the market compared to other places. So there's definitely opportunities to be had there. And what is kind of like the price per square foot or per square meter that you're finding in Porto at the moment for this type of residence? So if you're looking at something that is in need of deep rehab, then you're looking between 500 euros and upwards of 2,000 euros per square meter. If you're pushing that 2,000, it could be really difficult to have equity in the property after it's all finished, after the rehab's done. But if you can get in around 1,500, then you're sitting pretty nicely because basically all of the new construction is coming in at around 3,000 euros per square meter. And a lot of it's actually being oversold, overvalued for like four, four and a half. And that's in Porto. And wow. Lisbon prices are even wilder. Lisbon prices yeah. are like three and a half is kind of the lower end. And it's not outrageous to see four and a half or five thousand mm -hmm. euros per square meter. But our wow. goal with this project is to make sure that our all in budget and the way we break it down price per square meter is we hit 3000 because that way we know that we have equity. We're, we're positive in the property as soon as we wrap it up. 
And can you guys get a loan there or is it cash purchases? Yeah, foreigners can get a loan. We're going to be seeking one. Two of the four investors want a loan. The other two want to be cash. Mortgage rates are really good right now. Interest rates are really good compared to the states for sure. I mean, they are going up because of the economic situation across Europe. Mm -hmm. But you're looking at anywhere between 2.8 and 3.8 fixed. Wow. Yeah. Somewhere between like 20 and 30% down is kind of the norm. It's possible to go lower than 20%, but it's rare. It's really rare. Okay. Locals can get 10% down loans, but 20 to 30% is realistic. And besides that, everything is about the same. They don't necessarily discriminate because you're a foreigner. Nope. So it's just how much money you put down. They do take into consideration your age and obviously your financial background and everything. Yes, that's different. But as far as like comparing like, oh, I'm a foreigner. Is it going to be hard for me to get a mortgage? Not necessarily if you have all those ducks in a row. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some countries, foreigners can't get a loan or it's like right. 10% or 12% or something crazy. Right. And then the people that you're investing with, you mentioned your community there in Porto. How did you meet them and how have you been able to make friends and form your friend circle there? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of two answers. So how did we link up with this group all through YouTube? We put out a poll on our community tab just to see if there was any interest. And we redirected people to email us in the end, like at the end of the poll. And then I, I had a survey to make sure what we're trying to do aligns with what they want. And there were three other people that really stuck out, a single lady, a single guy, and then two brothers. And I've just been communicating with them through WhatsApp. And sometimes we jump on a Skype call so I can fill them in on the progress and how things are going. The legal component of how this is going to work will be a little tricky, but it shouldn't be impossible at all. Like we should be able to do it. We just won't know exactly how it's going to be done until we identify the building. Because there's like more than one way to skin a cat. Oh, so are they not in Portugal? No, no. One person's never actually visited Portugal. Uh, (laughs) The other two had already planned on retiring here and they like the area, the target area. The other lady has not set foot in Portugal. So yeah, fun. That's cool. How do we make friends? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I will say about that. I mean, that's another thing that people maybe think that we're creating some sort of What's the term that you use? Like like a co-living or commune or... Yes. And that's not the case. Pretty much we all have the same goal of making sure that the plumbing is good, the electrical is good, the insulation is good for soundproofing, for possible mold, all of that. We all have that goal. And the best thing we can do is completely renovate a whole building and make yeah. sure we know what's behind the walls. But that takes mm-hmm. money. And obviously space, like we don't need a whole building ourselves. So that's kind of how this idea came about doing it with other people. So while we will know our neighbors right off the bat, it's not like we're at, you know eating at each other's place every night for dinner, like rotating yeah. or something like that. You're a neighbors. Your neighbors. Yeah. yeah. And we'll know our neighbors yeah. and we're, we're all on the same page of how we want things to be, but it's not, yeah, some sort of like co-living kind of space. So there is that. So even though we haven't met them, we you know, obviously have talked to them online, but we haven't met them in person. We feel very comfortable with that situation. Now, how do we meet people actually in that person. are our friends here. Yeah, in person <laughs> here. We do meetups regularly in Porto or if we're visiting a city, we try to do a meetup. And actually that's how we've met a lot of the people that we hang out with on a regular basis. Some that have become really good friends of ours. There's been some sort of connection to our channel or us living here, our course, something like that. And people will email. And then when you get together, you find out that you have a connection and it's fun hanging out and it goes past the whole, oh, you helped me move here type thing. And you just become friends and live life together. 
Yeah. And I, I will say this because I know that not everyone in your audience is going to have a YouTube channel where they can just like put out the, the bat <laughs> signal and everyone shows up for them. We met two good friends here very early on at the grocery store. We heard them speaking English, American English, and we just struck up a conversation with them and decided to you know swap contacts. It's been easy meeting people with a kid. You know, you go to a park and your kids are playing, you strike up a conversation with them, whether they're a foreigner or Portuguese, that's easy. With Portuguese, maybe it's a little more difficult to get invited, you know, back to the house to have a meal or whatever, because they already have their group of friends. Befriending shopkeepers and, you know, people that own establishments that you frequent is a really easy way to kind of get to know a local and start to form those kind of relationships. Because then they want to introduce you to locals that they know or family members or something that they think you would have a good time hanging out with. And yeah, it just kind of snowballs from there. So really just being open to if you hear English, sitting at a cafe, strike up a conversation. Or if you're working on your Portuguese with the server and they speak English and you speak a little Portuguese, you just strike up this type of conversation and stuff just snowballs. And then when you meet people and you hang out with people, then they know some other people. And you're like, okay, I'm going to invite my friends and I'll invite my friends. And all of a sudden you just end up having this big sphere of people, big pool that you can hang out and get to know other people that you have similar interests with. Yep. And walking the dog has helped me too. <laughs> yeah. Our dog attracts people because he's very small. So I strike up conversations with people all the time. What kind of dog do you have? He is a three pound Yorkshire Terrier. He's like tiny. Yeah. Little. Very little. Yeah. Do you guys speak Portuguese now or like what level are you at? We are learning Portuguese. I mean, I think we're food fluent for sure. Like we can go to a restaurant and order no problem. We know basically everything that's on the menu can have those kind of conversations and it really impresses the server. But it's like, you want to talk religion, politics, or anything <laughs> technical, and then we're out of our depth. Or just even if but, they use a word, that, like a vocab word that I'm just not familiar with, or it's just, I don't use it often. So maybe it's a synonym to a word I use, then I'm like the deer in the headlights. Like, oh, I have to try to process like what, sometimes in context, you can figure it out if it's just one word in a sentence. But other times I'm like, oh, I don't know what that is. And they can see the wheels turning and they'll switch to English. And I'm like, let me think for a second. <laughs> but Josh, it's definitely, you're a risk taker in that sense. Oh, you, just, you just throw it out there. And even if you look like an idiot, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm still on that. I, I'm going to try. And thankfully in Porto up in the North, they're very kind and they let you give it a go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been studying a tremendous amount, like off and on, and I've been hearing a lot better. I've been hearing it, but being able to then respond is where I'm a little stuck. Yeah. It always happens where like you can understand more than you can speak back, Yep. but eventually you get over yep. that hurdle. At least I, I did wait. with Spanish, but I still can understand more than I speak. And right. I guess that's just how it is. But yeah, some topics are hard to talk about even in your native language, <laughs> So, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> but it's good to hear that you're having after all of these years of living there, that you still feel like there's a warm reception from the locals and that it's not just cliche, like, Oh, the people are so nice in X country. And then you have the other media narrative. That's like the locals hate Americans because they're taking over the property prices or whatever. Right. So yeah. What, what has the reality been, you know, as foreigners living there in Porto and trying to integrate and like actually be locals, do you feel like you're accepted by the locals and to what degree? 
Our experience has been that, especially up in the north and in Porto, that they're very kind. It depends on what city you're in, I think, how warm they feel, but the north is known to be very warm towards anyone. So that's really nice. And then, I mean, people love kids here, so that definitely makes it easier. And people being a little more gracious with us, I guess you could say, and with us trying to stumble through certain Portuguese phrases and such. But I think that overall, our experience has been that people are just so nice here, really nice in the north. And then it depends on what other part of the country you're in, how it goes. Yeah. I would say like if we're giving a grade to how nice Portuguese people are, then the country as a whole gets an A. But then if you want to break it down region by region, not everybody's getting an A. You know what I mean? Like Algarve and bless them, like bless their hearts. They just suffer with a lot of tourism and foreigners and heat and all of that, like all of that combined. They seem to be a very agitated people at times when they're having to speak English or someone else's language rather than Portuguese. So we have had some moments where they have been not so nice to us. That's Algarve. And then the more you work you're way up north, like the better it gets. So if Algarve's like hmm. C minus, then it just gets progressively better as you get up to the A plus of Porto. A plus of Porto. So yeah, Lisbon, you would say is a B. Lisbon's a B. Yeah, Lisbon's a B. Yeah, because it's just, it's such a busy city. So you just yeah, get people, people get who, that. they're just, they're just busy, right? Yep. They don't have time for it. But yeah. a lot in the service industry still do have time for it. Whereas I, I think yeah, down in Algarve, the service industry, they just don't have time for it. So yeah, as you work your way up, a lot in Lisbon do, depending on, you know, maybe who you get on the day, especially. And then you get up, you know, up here into Porto and they got all the time you need. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> well, I guess, unless you're in a hurry. <laughs> and let's not hate on Alentasians, our Very nice. sweet people. Very, Very nice. sweet yeah. people. Lovely. Yeah, I kind of got that perception when I was in Croatia a few years ago, like depending on where I was, because people hit up all the hot spots and I just felt like the locals were like, you know what? It's a hundred degrees outside. It's the peak of summer. It's the peak of tourist season. Like we're so over this. <laughs> they just weren't in the mood for like small talk. They're just like, what do you want? Like at the restaurant, you know, they're like on with the next person. And yeah, I can't really blame them because I was hot and frustrated too. Cause it's like sweltering heat and there's no trees and there's a lot of people in crowds. And of course that was also before the pandemic, but then Croatia was open a lot during the pandemic as well. But I'm sure if you went into like the interior and the north and like areas that are off of like the coastal tourism areas that you would find just a lot more laid back people and more moderate weather, not so hot and a little bit slower pace of life and like more open to uh, having that small talk with foreigners. So yeah. it probably goes for a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And then what do you guys plan to do? Like your daughter is still two years old, but are you going to homeschool her or do you want her to grow up in the public school system, like integrated with Portuguese society? What's your plan there? So we definitely think it's important to get her out socializing with kids her age, and we want her now to learn Portuguese. It's the best time to learn. So in September, she's going to start. There are these things here called creche, and they're varying types. There are public ones that are run a bit more like a daycare, but then there are private ones that will have like music class and gym class and English class, and they're very affordable. You can have, for working parents, it, they can be there all day, you know, seven to seven, but the instructional period is a set time 
time. So from like 9.30 to 4.30, the one that we'll be taking her to is when the instructional period is. So they learn what it's like to be orderly, to line up, to have different classes, to share, all the things that I think kids need. And it's quite common for them to go to these as early as really six months if parents need them. But around Sia's age, like around two, is a, a good time that kids start going to these. So this is a crush. And then in Portugal, kids have to be in school starting at the age of six. So this crush, and um, most of them go up until then. And then for us, we have to make a decision. Most likely, we will send her to an international school. You have the option of the public schools, you have private schools, and then you have international schools. And we aren't sure how long we'll be in Portugal. So for us, we'll probably be looking at the international schools, but a lot will depend. We have to see kind of how things go with this crash and where we are, because obviously since she's only two, we have time to figure out what we're going to do and what would be best schooling. But definitely getting into school, no homeschooling here. <laughs> yeah. And the reason that we want to go the international school route, or we're thinking that is because it's just easier to transfer to another place. If we have her in an international school that has an American curriculum, and then we go to a different city, country with an international school that has an American curriculum, it's a much easier transition. So there's nothing wrong with the Portuguese public schools. No, no, actually I hear that they're pretty good. Yeah. And where are you guys thinking of going? Tell us a little bit about the residency category that you applied for and then how long you plan to stay in Portugal after that, or is that expiring or what's your situation? Hey there, Kristen here. I hope you're enjoying today's show. You can support the podcast by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen or by sharing today's episode on social media or with one of your friends, family members, or coworkers. You can also make a financial contribution to support Badass Digital Nomads at badassdigitalnomads.com support. There, you'll find links to donate on PayPal, buy me a coffee, or by joining my Patreon, where you get lots of benefits, such as being able to preview my videos before they're published on YouTube, participate in monthly private Zoom hangouts with other patrons, and also get a chance to ask questions for podcast guests. That's at badassdigitalnomads.com support. And now back to the show. We are not thinking about moving anywhere, which is a good thing because when we do think about moving somewhere, we move. <laughs> um, so we're not leaving. The visa that we moved on is the D7 visa. And what that is, is essentially it's a long-term residence program and you can renew it. So after your first appointment to confirm that you are a resident, you get two years. And then after two years, we're coming up on the beginning of next year we will get another three years, assuming they let us stay in the country. I don't want to make any false assumptions here. So if they let us stay in the country, we'll get three more years. And then after that, you can actually switch to, what's it called? Long-term resident. Long-term, because it's technically considered a temporary yeah. temporary visa. You can do long-term resident. Or you can start the citizenship process at your fifth year, like completing your fifth year. And then that takes about a year to do from what we've heard of. And we haven't fully considered going that route, but it's a I guess yeah, also because we still have time seeing where we are, you know, after five, six years, if that's the route that we want to take. Because obviously there are pros and cons to it. But then there's also something to consider. There's a 
tax scheme that helps with its tax breaks called NHR. And it's only good for 10 years. Yeah. It's separate from the residency program as well. Yeah, that's something visas. that's different. That's not tied to your visa. Actually, Portuguese can get it as well if they are out of the country for a certain amount of time. But that would be something to consider because taxes can be pretty high here. So after 10 years, where are we with all of that? So all of these things you know, are in the back of our minds, I guess, and we're not quite sure what that's going to look like, but we do feel like we still have time. And obviously we're looking to buy a place. So that means that we we're not ready to leave just yet. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And what issues are you were mentioning before we started the conversation that you guys had some issues with your NHR or NIF number. So what was happening there? I mean, we've had all sorts of issues with, with <laughs> all of, with all of that. Portuguese bureaucracy. Well, we also came in a different time since we yeah. did come during COVID. We didn't actually have to have our NIF number or our bank account set up before as part of the visa process. Now, as a requirement, you do have to. Can we explain what a NIF is for you, those that don't? Sure, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, well, your NIF is just like your tax ID number. Yeah. It's different than a social security number, but I guess you can kind of, they have a social security number as well, but it's kind of similar to that. So it's one of the requirements of the D7 visa. And when we came in, because there weren't any ways to do it remotely and you couldn't come to the country and get it done, we didn't have to have it. So we were kind of in this weird intake. Mm -hmm. Now there are companies that can do it remotely that are affordable and not scammy. There are scammy ones out there as well. We got to be careful with. And so it is part of the requirement. So we just had issues with that because when we got here, you know, the finances offices, these are the offices that you used to just be able to walk in and get this number. They're all closed. They're not doing anything in person, but then no one seemed to be working either. So we're trying to get these numbers. We're trying to do these appointments and they say, okay, you can do it online. You got to get this code mailed to you. Well, of course the code never arrived, you know, so just little things like this. I was like, well, we can't get into this portal because we don't have this code and we're never getting this code. So you have all of that stuff and... It, it was a big matter of timing though. It was just the wrong time. It was like this two week period where you ended up getting like locked outside of this loop that they had, this circuit. And it was just very frustrating because it caused a lot of other issues like the NHR. So it was very difficult for us to then register for NHR. And those are two different things. Your NIF is your tax ID number, but... Just because you have a NIF doesn't mean you have NHR. Just because you have a D7 doesn't mean you have NHR. You have to apply for it, but you also have to get into your NIF portal to apply for it. So, you know <laughs> All what I mean? these caveats. Yeah. And, and they think they were confused as well because so much of this was done in person. It used to be done in person or it used to be much easier than nothing was. You couldn't do anything in person. So then it's all of this stuff is online and they're having to change their policies and how they do it. And it just was this perfect storm <laughs> of like... Ah. You survived though. Yeah, we're good. We're is, good now. Is that what motivated you to create a D7 course to help other people? Actually, with the course, like yeah. people just kept telling us we should do a course. We have a playlist of <laughs> us going through the whole process. When we were in the States, we're driving, you know, okay, we're driving to FedEx to go get this or whatever it might be. And so we were like, okay, we have this playlist that lays it out for everyone. And so many people kept writing us saying, you should put this into a course, like have it really laid out for people. And so what we thought was laid out in the videos, people wanted more. And so that's kind of how the idea started. And we started accumulating all of these helpful resources and recommendations recommendations and discounts for people. And so all of that can be put in there and we have it's both video form and written form. And I can update it as needed because requirements are ever changing, of course. And so I just keep updating it as I need to. So that's kind of how the course came about. Yep. 
Yeah, I send people to your course all the time. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully my affiliate link is working. I think <laughs> with code Kristen, you can get $10 off. Um, this yeah, was from yeah. like a few years ago. So I've just been sending people whenever they ask me about D7, I'm like, talk to Josh and Kaylee because I have not done it. And yeah, and it's only $79. So it's like well worth the investment to get that step-by-step -step guide and just all the resources at your disposal. So we'll link up to that in the show notes for people if they're in that process and they don't want to pull their hair out. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure that you have the correct link <laughs> and the code is Kristen. Yeah, I think that um, that was something that was really important to us because we were seeing that with people becoming more interested in Portugal, you had a lot of companies pop up and lawyers pop up that were asking crazy prices for something like the NIF or the bank account or something that you have to have. Yeah. But at that time you couldn't get into the country to get it. So you had to pay someone to do it remotely. And you would hear all these stories of, you know, people giving their money to do something and then that person vanished. And so we did everything on our own, which is yeah. how we know how to do it. So that's what, why this is like a DIY course that we do give recommendations of like how we did it. Like, oh, we went to Walmart for the money order or something like that. Then, you know, we've just accumulated all of these resources that people can use as well. And we wanted to make it super affordable because it should be affordable. Obviously you have to pay for things like getting, you know, you know, your FBI background check, you have to pay for that, but you can do that on your own. You don't have to hire someone to help you with that. So that was the whole idea of the course, just keeping it affordable to have as this guide for people, the step-by-step -step guide on how to do it. DIY. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause these sorts of things, it's not rocket science, but it is science. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's not just necessarily like going to the government portal and being like, oh, this is how you do it. It's right. like you get into the process, you realize all the other stuff you didn't know that you didn't know. And then it just like becomes this whole thing. But that's true in, in any country. So that's very helpful. I think the major thing that we tried to tap into was the emotional side of it is like, we know that this is a stressful thing and there's a lot of uncertainty. So that's one of the things that we kept focusing on, like as we delivered the content in the course, like the emotional side, like we know how you're feeling right now. It's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> we were in your seat. Uh -huh. And I think that's kind of the value add that we tried to give within the course. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely link to that. And then I have some questions here from the Badass Digital Nomads Facebook group. So instead of doing a lightning round, we'll do like a lightning round of Portugal questions. And some of the questions we've already answered, like on cost of living. Philip asks, what district would you live in in Lisbon? Avenidas Novas. Park des Nações. Dash Nações. Okay. Are we supposed to elaborate or is it like boom, boom, boom? <laughs> Lightning round. Well, it's lightning round, but everyone knows my lightning rounds are so slow. Because <laughs> we elaborate. Yeah, yeah go that's for what it. I thought. Okay. It's okay. like a thunderstorm. I'll round. just say for me, Avenida Novas, I like the space and how it was open with bike lanes. It was a little flatter. The feel of it was just like not too crazy and chaotic like some of the other parts of Lisbon are, but it's still extremely well connected to get to wherever you might need, whether that's in the Lisbon region or in the whole country. So for me, it had a little bit of everything. The history, still the people, you felt like you were in a city, but also it was modern too. So it was just a great mix. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to say the same thing as Kaylee. So I chose a different area. No, but we just did a five video series on the most livable neighborhoods or most popular expat neighborhoods in Lisbon. And I gave the rating of five 
out of five to two different places. One was what she said. One was what I said. Okay. And I did four for Park Das Nisowich. I would live there as well. But if I had to choose one, it would be Avenida Nisowich. Okay. We'll add that um, playlist to the show notes too. And then Philip also asks, would Porto or Faro be better from a cost of living perspective? So is there any difference in the cost of living between those two areas on average? I know it's hard to specify. I don't know, actually. I think that maybe the only significant difference might be in housing, but I've not compared enough of how much medium and long-term rentals are in Faru. I don't think there's many is the thing. There's not. Mm. The inventory is definitely different. I think in terms of cost of living, it would be negligible. The difference would be negligible. Okay. That makes sense. Dave asks, how do you get around without a car? Like, What is the best form of public transportation in your area? In Porto, the metro is fantastic. I would say if you live in the city center, walking is perfectly acceptable. We go long stretches without even getting on the metro. Like we have metro cards, but we don't activate them as monthly passes. We just buy like 10 trip packs because we won't use it enough to make the monthly pass worth it. Yep. So the the metro is really good. Sometimes on the weekends, it doesn't run as frequently as I would like. But other than that, they're easy to navigate and they're clean. There are buses as well, but those are a little less reliable as far as timing, mainly because of traffic. Yep. But then train travel is really popular as well. We can get on a train and be in Braga in an hour or down to Lisbon. So that's really common. Now, the trains are a lot more on the coastal part. If you're down in Algarve, there is a train, but it's just a little harder to navigate to the different cities. So a lot more people have a car down in Algarve, but in the cities and Lisbon, the tram, a lot of people will take the tram as well. It's a popular way to travel, not just a touristy thing, but it's just a little slower. So yeah, public transportation in the cities is really easy and Porto is not that big. So we walk a lot. Lightning round. Come on now. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. She said elaborate. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of options. I've noticed that with the metros in places that with the delays, sometimes it can be longer when you're waiting for the metro and then the delays, it's longer than walking. So I end up walking a lot or biking, but it's way harder to bike in areas of Portugal with the hills and stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you bring up an amazing point because biking and the scooters have become wildly popular. Electric bikes are becoming much more prolific, Mm. but you're right. Like in downtown Lisbon, in downtown Porto, it's hilly. Yeah. You know, it's risky, especially on cobblestones. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, thanks. Okay. Sam asks, can you give us some insight into the food scene? Hashtag priorities. And I know you guys are foodies. So maybe some food tips for Lisbon or Porto. Yeah. I mean, the food scene is amazing here from petiscos, which are like tapas. You have tapas in Spain, petiscos here. Uh, So those are like small plates that you share. You order a bunch for the table and then everyone passes them around. So that's more communal style dining. And there's all sorts of, of foods that you can get with that from your potatoes and ham to seafood, whatever. And then when it comes to the traditional dishes, Cod is wildly popular here. You shouldn't make a trip to Portugal without trying one of the variations of cod. Yeah, seafood is really big here. So cod is their biggest, but you, I mean, up here, especially you can get sardines, octopus. Those are some popular ones. Iberian pork is really big. So not just like pork chunks, but also the ham 
Parma ham, I think is what a lot of Americans would call it, right? A cured ham. That's probably the better word for it. Like prosciutto. Yeah. Instead of going like the Italian route with Parma ham prosciutto, yeah. it's called cured ham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows what we're talking about, right? Okay. So, and we're talking about food. So yeah, ha- I have to talk about the Francesinha, which porto. is a Porto dish, but it is a monster of a dish that needs to be tried if you're up in Porto. Don't try it down in Lisbon. I've seen places that have it. Not the same. You have to have it up in Porto. It really originates is, from here. Is the Francesinha a sandwich? I haven't had that. <laughs> Yes. I mean, you could say it's a sandwich. <laughs> it's about as much of a sandwich as a hot dog is a sandwich. So I think people should. Yeah, know that. it's it's bread. It's a lot of meat. It's smothered in cheese and has tomatoey based sauce. It's so good, but you must be hungry when you eat it. And I recommend people eat it for lunch because sometimes if you eat it for dinner, you're just stuffed the rest of the night. So be hungry. Yeah. Have, maybe have a light breakfast and then go for it for lunch. S- since your audience member asked about food, and we're very enthusiastic. About <laughs> about food. This has to be said. You can still find lunch specials like plates of the day for around five euros. And you can have like a decent dinner out at a Portuguese place for under 10 euros. But you can also go to some like really nice Portuguese, bougier, posher food restaurants and not break the bank. I'm talking like spending anywhere between 30 and 40 euros per person on a, on a, a set meal or whatever prefix. But then, you know, you can have your foreign foods as well. You can have between Lisbon and Porto, you can find pretty much any kind of foreign food that you would like. Now, it's not all the same. Like we haven't found a great Korean place here. And that's a bummer. And there's far less. There actually were two and one closed. Yeah. So, but then Lisbon will have more options. So the foreign cuisines, Lisbon just has more restaurants, but you could still have those here. There's just less options as how many restaurants there are. The local food in the north is better though. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Okay. I'll, I'm ready for the food tour when I get back. <laughs> Let's go. Um, Do you like carbs? <laughs> yeah. He also asks, um, how is the availability of local produce and the quality? Like, where do you guys do your produce shopping? Do you go to regular supermarkets or outdoor markets? And are there any sorts of like local produce that stick out as extra high quality? We're lazy. So (laughs) we go to the supermarket and, you know, a decent amount of Portuguese people are doing the same thing. I think Some of the older generation still likes to go to the butcher, still likes to go to the local markets. I do see a decent amount of foreigners doing it as well. Our audience members talk about it all the time, like are interested in the exact question that you just got there. Yes, it's easy and readily available to go to a fruit stand, have like your little neighborhood fruit stand, your neighborhood butcher and get things done. It can be cheaper. It's not always cheaper. So you can do a price comparison. But a lot of the produce and stuff is... If it's produced in Portugal, then it's going to be Portuguese. Like they're not going to import something for no reason, if that makes sense. So things are fresh. Things are seasonal. Seasonal is a big thing. Things are local. Yeah. Yeah. Go with the seasons. Like when, you know, cherries pop up, you're like, yay, it's cherry cherry season. (laughs) Two weeks. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best. Yeah, yeah. But you don't get them for super long. So you you load up on them. But that's fine because it's like, oh, I've had so many cherries. And then it's the next fruit that's in. So Exactly. Yeah, the old way of living. I do remember seeing the fruit stands. A lot of these questions we already answered, so that's good. Like Sergey had asked, what are the requirements for a long-term visa or residency permit? I'll just direct 
and Melinda asked the same thing. So I'll direct you guys to the D7 course. Nicola asked if you need to be able to speak Portuguese to live there, but you guys kind of already answered that, that you can get by with English. Learn Portuguese though. It's good. <laughs> A little bit appreciate of it. broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fakar asked about getting citizenship, but that could be something that you can get on a path to citizenship after getting temporary permanent residency. So that's probably the most common there. George asked, what's the best surfing town or community close to Lisbon? You guys mentioned Ari Sarah, Nazare. Yeah. Yeah. Those would be the two big ones. George also said that he won't be surfing. He'll just be watching from the lighthouse. <laughs> oh, then he needs to go up to Nazareth. <laughs> Nazareth is the spot. That is where the yeah. big waves are. That's when, like when, when you think, oh my, oh my. Yeah, it, it's like when people aren't NASCAR fans. They're just fans of the crash. <laughs> then you go to Bristol Motor Speedway and watch the, the yeah. cars crash. Shout yeah. out to my hometown. <laughs> people are like, what? NASCAR? <laughs> Hey, a lot of people like some sort of racing. Yeah, true. Yeah. Formula One's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have a race in Portugal too, right? Yep. That's right. Yeah. Are you guys going to go? Probably not. We, we have a bunch of friends yeah. actually that got into, is it the Amazon series? There's like Amazon a TV Prime series. series. Yeah. There's a series where they like actually started to tell the story of drivers. And some of our friends got really into us. They're stoked about F1. We actually went to an F1 event in Singapore and loved it. But we were more there for the concert. Yeah. They have like big international acts that come for concerts. Oh. Yeah. It was cool. The racing was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Got I, to see Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Beetle and those guys. But yeah. I went to the one in Miami. Oh, sweet. It was hot. I bet, yeah. But my dad's a race car driver, so I went with him. I think for us, like since, I mean, we enjoy all types of sports and we do like that, but if we're going to pick to do a different sport, like a sport, we'll probably do something different, especially with a two-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Like we will be venturing out to soccer stadiums with her. At some point, we'll probably do the F1 here, but not right away. We're soccer and MMA fans. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I see yeah. Kaylee in the MMA. Um, well, that's a perfect <laughs> segue to the next question from Tama, who says, what are some outdoor activities to do in or near Lisbon, like water sports or hiking or climbing, et cetera? I don't know about climbing, but, but kind of all of the above. Hiking, you know, biking. Hiking, biking. You have water sports as well. Kayaking, sailing. Yeah. Surfing. You can find a pickup soccer game. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of options and Football. a lot of people are into that. So there's lots of groups that you can just, I mean, there's websites if you're just looking for something specific and that's a great way to meet people too that are, have the, you know, the same passion for whatever that sport might be. But yeah, lots of options for outdoor stuff. Yeah. And not just in Lisbon, but across the All country. All over. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I haven't done any hiking there. Do you guys know of any like area to go hike? Besides just the hills in general. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think the, the best would be Jiresh. It's in the north. It's the national park, national forest, national park, Jiresh. Okay. It's G-E-R-E-S. You guys have good Portuguese pronunciation, so props Ob for that. Obrigado. <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> I already answered a lot of these questions. Chanel was asking the cost of living compared to... Southeast Asia and Portugal, which we talked about at the beginning. 
Nesset asking about the D7 visa application and like rental contracts. So also direct him to the course. And then Tweevy was asking about neighborhoods. We talked about that. And she also asked like how to navigate doctor's visits and hospitals. So I guess if you could just kind of give us your summary in a nutshell of like, how's the healthcare system there coming in as a foreigner? Like what are some of the costs or things that people can expect paying for healthcare out of pocket? Sure. Yeah. I think overall people will notice that the healthcare here is much less expensive than what they'll find in the States. I had a a slight medical incident. Valencia's had doctor's appointments, whatever, just for being young, like pediatric care stuff, like normal stuff. Kaylee, fortunately, had to deal with anything. There is a service here that uh, was started by a group of foreigners that helps out with kind of the language barrier and knowing who to go to and whatnot. And we can help connect people with them. But like for my medical instance that I had, I had to have an x-ray done after slipping on the calzadas, after chasing after Valencia because she went running towards the road. It was like 60 euros for the x-ray and I think 50 euros for the consultation with the doctor. And then the follow-up was free. And um, private insurance covered most of it. Yeah, but that would have been my out-of-pocket Out of payment. Out-of-pocket, yeah. I think like, that one we had to We um, had it reimbursed. Yeah. yeah. So when you have the D7 as a resident, you can apply for your SNS, which is like your healthcare number, and you can get into the public healthcare system. And it's not doesn't mean that everything is free. It just means that stuff is subsidized for you. And this is in public hospitals, public clinics. Then there is the option for private hospitals and private clinics, and you can top up a lot of people do it through their bank. You can have private insurance and there are variations as to what you want covered. Mm-hmm. But compared to like the states, for example, the deductibles are generally lower. It covers a lot more. And it's just a lot more affordable. And a lot of doctors and nurses will speak English, especially the younger ones. Some of the older ones, it's a little harder, but a lot of them train outside of Portugal and then come back. So friends that we have had have had all good experiences, uh, generally fairly quick. You don't have to go in and come back for something. You can go in, maybe wait a little bit and then get it done or something like that. So pretty good. You know, obviously there will be some that have issues. I think that the ambulances are a little tricky because some of the ambulances don't have first responders in there, I guess. So they're more like just transporting you quickly rather than being able to help in an emergency situation. So there's that to keep in mind. But yeah, it's overall, it's pretty good. Yep. Do you guys have any extra supplemental insurance or do you just keep your insurance through the D7 visa? So we ended up transitioning off of that plan that we had onto one that's a national plan. It's still private, but it covers basically just Portugal. I mean, if we did travel and some major medical emergency happened, then it would kick in. So we transitioned because it was going to be like half the cost. Yeah, it's actually so one of the requirements is to have health insurance and something like repatriation. So you have to have some sort of international plan, but those tend to be a lot pricier, especially if you want to keep the U.S. on that plan. When you add U.S. as as one of the insurances, yeah, as you know, it just skyrockets. So you need that for part of your, like as a requirement for your visa. But when you do get here, it's your option. You don't have to have private here um, that covers you in Portugal. You can just go ahead and go with the national health care and do public. But private just opens up a bit more doors for people to get into the private sector, which stuff 
happens faster, but sometimes they send you to the public hospitals because they're bigger and have more things available. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it kind of just depends on preference, but it ends up being a lot cheaper if you just do the international healthcare for your visa and then you drop down to something different when you get to Portugal. Okay. And then how much do you guys pay like per month or per year as a family to have that coverage? We have the best coverage possible with the company that we're using and it's 214, 214 euros per month. For the three of us. For the three of us. And we do know people who spend about 50 euros. 50 euros. For private top up. For a family. For a family. Yeah, Yeah. per month. So it just depends on the range that you want to go with. Obviously, that one, your deductible is going to be higher. It's not going to cover as much. Ours covers a lot just in case. So we went ahead and went with the higher one. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Which company do you use? So it's through our bank, which is Millennium Bank. And the company is Medish. It's like Medis. Okay. Medis. Medish. M-E-D-I-S. M-E-D-I-S. Okay. S is at the end of words in Portuguese. European Portuguese is a sh sound. Okay. That shows yeah. how much Portuguese yeah. I know. <laughs> hey, librarians would love Portuguese. They'd be shushing all the time. Shushin. Yeah. Well, your accents are right on point. And thank you for spending so much time with us today, sharing all of your, not all of your tips, because you know you have a lot of videos about Portugal, but a lot of introductory tips about living in Portugal. And where can people follow you online to find more and get some help with their moves to Portugal? We're most active on YouTube for sure. And we try to respond to all of the comments that we see. So you can find us at expats everywhere on YouTube. And then we also have, you know, Instagram and Facebook. We don't really do Twitter, but uh, we're very active on YouTube. So if people want to reach us over there, that'd be great. Check the show notes. You'll have both of our emails down there, the course link as well. Well, we just like helping people move and transition abroad. And similar to what you do, we've just niched into Portugal. Yeah. Helping people become expats. Go team. That's it. Let's go. (laughs) That's what we do. That's it. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. I'll let you get back because I know it's late over there. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you again next week. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Josh and Kaylee from Expats Everywhere. For more about living in Portugal, check out their YouTube channel. And if you'd like some help from me on your upcoming relocation or slow travel plans, then you can apply for my private group coaching program, Ready to Relocate at travelingwithkristin.com slash A-P-P-L-Y.